Morning, Fox Valley. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor who likes responses. If, is that okay with you guys? I'm Jim Brown. Um, I don't know where the name come from, but that's okay. Sandy, are you here this morning? She's the one that does the bulletin. It's okay. I don't mind being classified along with Judge Joe Brown. <laughs> I, f- I feel honored. I feel honored. <laughs> it's okay. You can call me anything. Just make sure you call me in time for dinner, as they say. What a privilege it is for me to be here today. What an honor for God to call me to be your messenger today. It's always intriguing to me to see what God has on his mind from one Sabbath to the next to his people. I'd like to commend you for your um, statement of mission. The mission of this Fox Valley SDA Church is to honor God in praise. That's what we're here for this morning. Is that right, church? And ministry. (laughs) To prepare the body of believers for life and ministry and to reach out to everyone with his love. Now, you're going to have to excuse me this morning. I don't normally growl like this when I'm speaking to people. It's just sinuses, so please bear with me. Before we begin our message this morning, by the way, you have a bulletin insert. It's a guideline for you to take home today. The subject of our message today that God has in mind for us is... He wants us to know his will. Don't you want to know what God's will is for your life? Don't you want to know what your purpose is? Why you're here? Why we're here? What's he he going to do for us? I can't wait for tomorrow to get here to see what he has in mind for me to do for him. And so these are the guidelines. And there's one correction. On number three, we must seek information. Instead of Acts 12, I'd like for you to mark Psalms 25, verses 4 and 5, and we'll get to that in just a minute. We'll get to the outline in just a minute, but I want to set the stage first of all. But before we begin anything, um, I'd like for you to get acquainted with me and my family. By the way, um, my wife, Nidra, back there in the pink, please raise your hand. This is my wife of 48 years. Our first date was when I was three and she was one. And the car that I came and picked her up in was a little radio flyer. Anybody know what a radio flyer is? It had two gears, pull and push. And now that I think of it, <clears throat> that's why I learned to drive with one hand. So I picked her up in the, in, the, in the front of the house, and on our first date, we went around the yard. That's as far as her mother would let me take her. I have to tell you, honestly, she was the cutest thing in diapers. So we were married in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the Youth Chapel, 1965, November. Now do the math. In two more years, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary. She's still the love of my life and always will be. This is our son, Brian. We've been here before. We've had the privilege of worshiping with you many times. God called us to the ministry in 1969, started in Union College, first two years, got a call to Oklahoma Conference after my sophomore year, so we transferred to Southwestern. While we were down there, we spent a year in Bolivia, South America, where we adopted our first child, Oscar Carrasco Sienkis Vasquez, um, Quechua Indian boy, full blood. He was six years old. Our duties down at the academy was um, uh, my wife taught uh, 
English language, grades one through seven, or was it eight? One through seven, one, one through eight. I, I, did the, uh, I did the academy high school level. What a great experience. <clears throat> People would ask us, why would, you, why would you take time out of college? You know, you're pursuing your career uh, away from education. And I would tell them, we would tell them, that was an education in itself, all by itself. There are memories there that will last a lifetime. And so we came back, finished college, 12 years in the Oklahoma Conference, went out to uh, Potomac Conference where we pastored with Pastor Samuel for about two or three years. Good man, a <clears throat> great talent. <coughs> okay, bear with me. Enemy's going to try and take my voice away from me. Spent five years in Lynchburg, Virginia, then went up to Seabrook in Maryland, and that's where we spent our last 19 years in the ministry. What a great, great journey that was. God has blessed, called us to the ministry, and I'll share a little bit more about that as we get into our message this morning. So before we start, however, would you please bow your heads with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, you are the creator of us and the creator of my voice. I pray that nothing will interfere with what you need me to say today. Let us know, blessed Father, through this unworthy servant of yours, what is on your mind today? What do we need to contemplate? What do we need to take home and put to practice in our lives? Knowledge is nothing, Father, unless it's activated. So help us know how to do that. Bless each one. May we have the blessing that you sought for us to have before we leave this place today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. By the way, <clears throat> one more thing I wanted to point out. God's house of worship is like a home away from home. Think about it. This is where we come to praise him. That's what you say in your mission statement. And so, as a result of that, this is God's family here together. Worshiping and praising him. So welcome back home. Okay? And what I want to share with you today <clears throat> is knowing God's will. There are times in our life... <clears throat> bear with me. There are times in our life that we experience joy and sadness and anything in between. And we come to the crossroads in our experience that we need to know what God's will is at that point in our life, many times. I know you've experienced it just like I have. And so we seek God's counsel. Those of us who know him and trust him and have had experience with him in the past have watched him work miracles in our life to know that he answers prayer. And so what does it take to know what God's will is on any given situation in your life as you live your life and as he, walk, as he walks it with you, with your experience. I want to share some things with you as we lead up to the guidelines. I want to share a thought from the book uh, How to Handle Adversity by Charles Stanley. Now he goes out, first of all, in Psalms 34, verse 4, would you please turn with me there? We're going to spend a lot of time in Psalms, so keep your finger there. We start with chapter 4. <clears throat> Psalms chapter 4, 34, I'm sorry. Psalms 34. Pay attention, Pastor. 
Psalms 34 and verse 4 specifically. Now, the chapter starts out by David saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. Hmm, interesting. Contemplate that for a minute. Bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, I know that there is one here who loves Jesus with all of your heart that does not want to do that all the time. I want to live like that, don't you? Just like David says here. But let's pinpoint what verse 4 says. I sought. Now, we're talking about wondering and finding out what God's will is. <clears throat> I sought, inquired of. By the way, I'm, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Please follow me in your translation. I sought or inquired of the Lord and re- required, required him of necessity and on the authority of his word, David says, you have promised me and I'm claiming the promise. And he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Now, the observation of this is God delivers those who persevere in their faith. Let me say it again. God delivers those who persevere in their faith. Now, the thought from Charles Stanley in his book, How to Handle Adversity. And you want to know what God's will while you're in the middle of this mess, whatever it may be. What is God's will here? Why am I having to go through this? Why me, Lord? Like the song says. And so the author says, you may have heard it said that a person does not really know who his friends are until the bottom drop drops out. You've experienced that. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure in my lifetime, as I look back, I'm, I've probably been in that category that's not been a true friend because the circumstances caused problems for me to, to hang on to that friend going through that circumstances, and I just don't want to deal with it. So I've walked away. I'm sorry to say. I've been in that category. I think there is great truth of that. All of us have experienced the pain of discovering that people <clears throat> we thought would be faithful, no matter what, were simply fair-weather friends. You know those friends, friends who loyally hinge upon the climate and circumstances as long as the relationship is enjoyable. They are with you all the way. But when it begins to demand some sacrifice on their part, they're hard to find. The ultimate measure, the author goes on to say, of friends, the ultimate measure of friends is not where they stand in times of comfort and convenience, but where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. I wonder if Jesus feels that way. I wonder if he felt that way when the disciples left. Where are my true friends? Where'd they all go to? In the same way, we will never know in a personal way the faithfulness of Christ apart from adversity. Did you catch that? One more time. We will never know in a personal way the faithfulness of Christ toward us outside of adversity. It takes hard times for us to know who our real friend is. And Jesus is our best friend. Have you learned that? As a result, our faith in him would never increase. It would remain static. One of the primary reasons God allows us to face adversity, check this out, is so that he can demonstrate his faithfulness and in in turn increase our faith. It's like you can hear him say, child, I know what you're going through. Been there, done that. It's not fun. 
but I'm here. We're going to go through this together. Have you experienced that before? I hope you have. If you are a believer, you have made a decision to trust Christ with your eternal destiny. I said eternal destiny. But you will not experience his faithfulness in that particular area until we die, as Paul says, daily to self. Let me get out of the way, Lord, so you can do what you can do for me. I need you to take over. God wants more from you and I than simple intellectual knowledge. Let me stop there and share a point with you. Did you know that any individual, Christian or non-Christian, can be, let's see, about, is this a foot and a half? About 18 inches from the kingdom? 18 inches? How do you figure that? A knowledge without experience. You can lose out on the kingdom. It's about approximately 18 inches. All the knowledge up here, I know who God is. I can tell you what he looks like. I can tell you how he parts his hair. But without, but, but do you, what, what experience have you had with him? Well, I haven't had any experience, but I know about him. 18 inches. God wants more from you than a simple intellectual knowledge of his faithfulness. It is his will that you experience it right now. If our lives are free from pain, turmoil, and sorrow, our knowledge of God will remain purely academic. Our relationship with him could be compared with that of a great-great-grandfather about whom we have heard stories, yet never personally, never met him personally, but would have great admiration, but no intimacy and no fellowship. There would always be a sense of distance and mystery That is the kind of relationship God wants with his children, intimacy, closeness, fellowship. That's why we come here every Sabbath. That's why we mingle together because of our personal experiences, each other, good and bad, so that we can share with each other and witness that God took care of me no matter what, and I thought I was going to die. Russell shared with me his experience. He's not supposed to be here. What, what, brain tumor? Did I understand that right? Yes. He's not supposed to be here. That experience, turmoil, God's faithfulness. I'm going to be there with you, Russell. We're going to see this thing through. There would always be a sense of distance and mystery. Through the death of Christ, God has opened the way for us to have direct access to him. God is in the process of engineering circumstances hmm, through which he can reveal himself to each of us. And both history as well as our personal testimonies bear witness to the fact that it is in times of adversity that we come to a greater realization of God's incredible faithfulness to us. Every day, all day long. You see, God has already written our story. What did he say to David? David complained, uh, explained. <laughs> he didn't complain. He explained. He knew me before I was born. He's already written your story. He knew where you were going to be last week, four years ago. Catch on to that thought. 
He knows what you're going to be doing. He knows whether you're going to turn right or left when you go home today. Before you get in the car, he's already written your story. And so through his school of providence, he takes us there. So now let's go through our list. Number one, our motives must be pure. Now, what we're trying to do here, we're trying to find the guidelines to find out what God's will is in our life at any given time. These are the steps that are suggested and, and prepared for you through Scripture. There are other guidelines in Scripture that you can refer to, and some of them are on the bottom of your list. But let's look at the five. Our motives must be pure. Psalms 143, verse 8. Let's go there quickly and see what David has to say about this. All right, David, what did you do to try and find out what God's will is for your life? Number one, our motives must be pure. Psalms 143, verse 8. When you're there, please say amen. Amen. And the verse says in this translation, follow me in your translation, cause me to hear. Our motives must be pure. David says, your loving kindness in the morning. For on you do I lean And in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherewithin I should walk. For I lift up my inner self to you. What did that author say about dying to self? And David says it here. For I lift up my inner self to you. That's the first step. Our motives must be pure. Well, Dr. Tony Evans, I don't know if you know him. A pastor down in Dallas, Texas. What a great motivator. What a tremendous communicator this man is. He feeds me every time I listen to him. He um, gave an example of his son with uh, not exactly pure motives. He was a, his son was 11 years old, and he said, Dad, I want to show you something. Come out here to the gym. And so he went with his son. And his son, 11 years old now, mind you, took a basketball, ran up to the hoop, and dunked it. Dunk the basketball, 11 years old. The only problem is, you know, the, the height of the basketball is normally 10 feet. Well, he lowered it down to 5 feet. That's not pure motive. Okay? Well, the dad laughed. He uh, had the, the um, caretaker come over and he said, I want you to raise this hoop. He turned to his son, now I want, you to, I want you to dunk it for me. Well, dad, that's impossible. I can't do that. I'm only 11 years old. Our motives must be pure. <clears throat> And David says it, for I lift up my inner self to you. Number two, uh, let's use John 5, verse 30 here. Our will, <clears throat> our will must be surrendered to God. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Our will must be surrendered to God. Now, by the way, in John chapter 5, you have to understand that Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is speaking here. John chapter 5, verse 30. First of all, number, uh, step number one, our, our motives must be pure. Number two, our will must be surrendered to God, our will. Jesus is speaking here, John chapter 5 and verse 30. And Jesus says, <laughs> our will must be surrendered to God. I am able to do nothing from myself. Myself is capitalized. That's Jesus speaking. I am, un, I am able to do nothing from myself independently of my own according, but only as I am taught by God and as I get his orders, Jesus says, of his Father. 
Even as, even as I hear, I judge, I decide as I am hidden, um, I'm sorry, bidden to decide. As the choice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, just, righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will, Jesus says. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. Now, David said he had to do that. Jesus says he has to do that for the Father in order to know what the Father's will is for him. If Jesus has to do it, who are we to say we're more important or more capable of Jesus? Number three, You know, well, let's let's uh, let's let's pause for just a second here. Number two, our will must be surrendered to God. We have to give it over to Him. He has to sort of tunnel or funnel it. It has to be contained, and uh, He takes our will and reshapes it and gives it back to us in a perfect form. Someone once said <clears throat> about self-discipline, and that's what it takes: self-discipline that we must surrender God's our will to God. No steam or gas drives anything until it is confined. No Niagara Falls is ever turned into light or power until it is tunneled. All that power. No life ever grows great until it is focused, dedicated, and disciplined. Our will must be turned over to God. Number three, we must seek information. Our scripture reading dealt somewhat with that. Psalms 25, 4 and 5. If you go with me there, please. We must seek information in order to find out what God's will is. Psalms 25, verses 4 and 5. And it says, show me your ways, O Lord. <laughs> nothing, pleases, <laughs> nothing pleases the Father for a child to come to the Father asking for information. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me, verse 5 says, in your truth and faithfulness, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you and you only, and altogether, do I wait expectantly all the day long. Number three, we must seek information. It's like Moses out in the wilderness. You know the story? He saw a bush burning, and the more he looked at that bush, it was still green. There were flames engulfing this bush. (laughs) I can't imagine what that looked like. Flames engulfing this bush, and it was still green. It just stayed green. And so Moses had to approach the bush, and then Jesus, or God the Father, says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. We must seek information. Number four, we must, we must be much in prayer for guidance. James chapter 1, verse 5. You know this one well. James chapter 1, verse 5. Stay with me. We must be much in prayer for guidance. By the way, I don't know how many of you have read the book a long time ago. It was called the ABCs of Prayer. Remember that? Remember what they were? Ask, believe, what else? 
claim. Ask, believe, claim. We must be much in prayer for guidance. James chapter 1 verse 5 backs it up. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, hmm, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly, it says in this translation, without reproaching or fault-finding, and it will be given him. Number five, four. I remember um, when Nidra and I, my wife and I, felt the calling to the ministry. We weren't sure. Is this where you want us to go? We were involved in church activities in Tulsa with the youth, um, with the youth pastor there, Dan Simpson. Had a youth singing group going on, and we were traveling around the state of Oklahoma. It was great fun. What a journey, and what a testimony to these kids. And by the way, these kids are still in contact, saying that if it hadn't been for that that group back in my time, I don't know where I'd be today. And so we felt the call to the ministry. Wasn't sure if that was God's voice. So we prayed. We were specific. We were both in in, in insurance careers at the time. Um, Married for about four years. This is about 1969. And so we prayed. And we said, Lord, this is what we need. I mean, we came with a list. (laughs) A list. Um, Nidra needs a job. I need a job in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, We need a place to stay. Are you sure this is what you want us to do? And the principal of the Tulsa Academy, Day Academy, had a brother who lived and worked, had his own business in Lincoln. And he called him up. And then he came to us and he said, listen, um, I know you're going to be looking for certain things. He didn't know about our prayer. I know you're going to be looking for certain things when you get up there. Um, and I know that you're uh, trying to figure out if, you, if you're going to go to the ministry or not and go back to school. But he says, uh, my brother said that he has a job for you. And by the way, he's got an apartment building above his workplace. has an apartment for you to be in. Well, that was half the prayer. Now, where Nidra worked, <clears throat> his boss knew someone up there, an insurance agent. So he calls him. And says, well, I, I, yeah, I think I've got a position. So before we got there, we had a place to stay and a place to work for both of us. God knows what he's doing. We can't doubt him. If you hear his voice calling, don't hesitate to do what he wants you to do. Just follow the footsteps and know what his will is. So number four, we must be much in prayer for God. It's number five, finally. We must await the gradual unfolding of God's providential, there's that word again, providential plan. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. Go with there with me, please. Last book of the Bible. It's like Billy Graham said, I don't worry about the future. I've already, I've already, I've already read the last chapter. I know who's going to win. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. The admonition here is we must await the gradual, gradual unfolding God's providential plan. We get so anxious to run ahead of God or to do his work. It's like the person who said, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Just can't wait. Revelation 2.26. In the Amplified Version, this is how it puts it. And he who overcomes is victorious. 
and he who obeys my commands to the very end. That's consistency. To the very end. I will give him authority and power over the nations. Revelation chapter 2 verse 26. Knowing what God's will is for your life. It's a struggle. No question about it. God's light has always been an emphasis of what or who he is. He is light. He, I am the light of the world, he says. He used light as a nighttime signpost as his wandering people made their 40-year journey. While warring against the Amorites, Joshua asked for and received more daylight to finish the job, and the creator simply took the sun and stood it still, and the moon stopped its rotation. That's the power that's available to you and I. All we have to do is ask what he wants us to do. Help us to recognize, Father, what your will is for my life. God used light for a special star to lure kings to come and worship the child Christ. In a glorious display of his true identity, Jesus was transformed by light. The Apostle Paul met the Savior through a burst of light on the road to Damascus. In 1960, during the Cold War standoff between the U.S. and the Soviets, both superpowers routinely monitored suspicious activities of the other. And on one frightful day, our leaders gulped in fear because American satellites detected intense bursts of gamma radiation. The scientific community, the community was convinced the Soviets were testing a super nuclear bomb that far exceeded anything in our nation's arsenal. Now, that, that, as if we needed something more powerful than we already have, because the, because the destruction power that they had back in the 80s and 70s, they, they were able to destroy every person on this earth 16 times over, as if they needed something more powerful than that. But something didn't, com- didn't compete, compute. The bursts were coming from the Soviet Union or any other na- nation. Ultimately, it was discovered that these explosions, known as gamma rays, were coming from outer space. Known as gamma rays were coming from outer space, well beyond our solar system, even outside the Milky Way. They were lights from staggeringly distant galaxies. These remote celestial lights proved to be brighter than any light known to man. In fact, gamma ray photons have energies greater than 10 times electrovolts. In plain English, billions of times that of ordinary light. It's just another sample of God's handiwork. So from the Israelite camp, certain men were brought into the camp and said, Listen, you need to keep this lamp lit at all times. And so it was their job to take unripened olive oil and make sure that that light never went out. We are to ask for God's guidance as to what his will is for our life. This little light of mine. What a great song. What powerful theology in that little children's song that we all grew up with. (laughs) Someday, I hope it's very soon. Saw a sign on the road coming up today. Jesus is coming soon. Let the church say amen. I wish it was yesterday. 
I wish today that you and I were standing around the throne where God sits. And, and, and we would say, oh, look, there's Russell over there. I see him. Hi, Russell. Around the throne. Or Dave. Hey, Dave. Glad you made it. Can't wait for that. <laughs> Can't wait for that day. <clears throat> but in the meantime, we're here stuck on this earth. And we're worried about the guy who drives the plane or the bus. <laughs> because it looks like on this bus with this driver, who is this human being? We're headed for a cliff and he's going to drive over. But you've got to stop and remember. He's not the driver. She's not the driver. Let me share a story with you in closing. A pastor had been on a long flight between church conferences. The first warning approach problem came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> That's an explanation you can say about life, right? Fasten your seatbelts. Then after a while, a calm voice said, we shall not be serving the beverages. This is your captain. We shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we are expecting a light turbulence. Light, yeah. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. As the pastor looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. Later, the voice came back. We are so sorry that we are not able to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. Does that sound familiar? And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkness skies. And within moments, the great plane was like a cork tossed around a celestial ocean. One moment, the airplane was lifted and on terrific currents of air. The next, it was dropped like it was about to crash. The pastor confessed that he, was, he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. He said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying possibly for the first time in their life. The future seemed ominous, and many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. Then, the pastor says, I suddenly saw a little girl. Apparently, the storm meant nothing to her. Nothing. Tossed around like a cork. But this storm meant nothing to her. <laughs> she had tucked her feet beneath her as a seat as she sat on the seat, she was reading a book. Ever, everything within her small little world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, then she would read again. Then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not in her word. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lunched, lurched this way and that, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous little child was completely composed and unafraid. What was she thinking? The minister could hardly believe his eyes. It was not surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, our pastor lingered to speak to the girl whom he had watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm and the behavior of the plane, he asked why she had not been afraid. Simple answer. Because my daddy's the pilot 
and he's taking me home. Come on, somebody say amen. There are many kinds of storms that buffet, that buffet us. There are physical, mental, financial, domestic, and others, many others, can easily and quickly darken our skies and throw our plane into apparent, apparent uncontrollable movement. Maybe somebody's in that storm today. We have all known such times. And let us be honest and confess, it is much easier to be at rest when our feet are on the ground than when we are being tossed about a darkened sky. But just remember, our Father is the pilot. Let me emphasize, he's not the co-pilot, he's the pilot. He is in control and taking us home, so don't worry. He has already written your story. We have access to such a tremendous power, and all we need to know is, God, what is your will for my life? It reminds me of a story of William Randolph Hearst, one of the richest men in the country at his time, a communicator through magazines and newspapers, and when he was reading a book some one day, he noticed an art, a piece of art that he really, really, it just caught his eye. He couldn't, he couldn't take his eye off of it. And he kept saying to himself and his, his fellow workers, listen, I got to have that piece of art. I need that piece of art. So find out where it's at. <laughs> they looked and looked and finally, one of his closest friends came running into his office. I found it. I found it. Tell me where it's at. I'm going to go buy it. It is in your basement. It was there all along. He did not realize the wealth that he had already in his possession. Now, that's what you and I do when we find out what God's will is for our life. All that wealth, all that strength, all that anticipated want to help you is there. All we've got to do is ask, believe, and claim. And it is ours, I hope, today. As you leave, that blessing that God wanted you to have, to take home with you, to activate in your life, I hope it will be yours as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, what a journey. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. (laughs) Most of all, thank you for your patience. Your children get so anxious, Father. But you understand, Father, you know the world we live in. We're tired of being here. We want to go home, Father. So help us be reminded that you are the pilot of this plane and you are taking us home. But in the meantime, Father, you have an assignment. Show us what that assignment is through your will so we can finish the book and we can finish the story And finish the work and go home. Thank you, Father, for that promise. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Father in heaven, dismiss us now from each other, but not from our company. May we remain with each other in our thoughts and in our prayers till you bring us back together in your house and welcome us back home. Take us now, dear Father. 
right upon our minds, but more important on our hearts, what you have taught us today. Help us to know you intimately, even through hard times. Keep us protected now, dear Father, and may we praise you for the rest of this day and throughout the new week. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. Amen.